Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. All right, we're starting a uh, brand new series entitled uh, Path to Peace. And if you're visiting with us or you're new to Tribe, we really believe that you know, the, the, the journey of Christ is a framework for us as followers of Jesus to follow and to imitate, uh, to practice in our own humanity, his humanity. Uh, it's a way that he teaches explicitly, and it's a way that he, uh, we see him implicitly through his examples in the scriptures of how to be like him. Uh, in other words, we're trying to live life as Jesus defines it. And that is a journey and a challenge and an encouragement, and we need community to be able to do that, right? Um, but, but we really do believe that God is up to something in us. He's up to shaping Christ in our character and in our behavior and in our worldview of things as we follow him. We believe that he became like us so that we can become like him. This is the gospel message. We're starting this new series, Path to Peace, and it's kind of a ramp up to Easter Sunday, which is in two weeks, believe it or not. Easter Sunday, two weeks. And we're going to take three steps towards uh, the cross, towards Easter Sunday with Jesus. We're going to follow him and learn from him how to be like him in the process. And the first step is learning to lament. And that's a, maybe a word new that's new for some of us. Maybe we already understand what a lament is, but we're going to unpack what that means. In Luke chapter 19, in verse 41, Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. It's kind of his triumphal entry back into Jerusalem. For one last time, he knows that within just a matter of time, in a few short days, he will be arrested. He will be at the cross. And he's ministered to Jerusalem now for about three years, in and around Jerusalem. And he's pleaded with them to repent and to see the kingdom to change their perspective on things so that they would be rescued from what is to come. And in verse 41, it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What would, sorry, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another one because you did not know the time of your visitation. In a parallel passage in Matthew, he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is lamenting over the reality of the city of God 
as it sits in unrepentance. He had been teaching them to follow the law of God with a righteousness from their hearts. In preparation, he was teaching them because he knew their enemies were coming. And if you just, you know a little bit about history, AD 70, Rome comes in and sacks Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. All through the end of Matthew, he's talking about these end times of the temple coming to a close. And he's been preparing them because he knows if, if you would repent, if you would turn to the righteousness I'm teaching you in the law, you would stand, you would sustain even your enemies coming. If you were a radical people who loved those who were gonna come and try to destroy you, it would put an end to this. But he's weeping over the reality. His heart is broken over the reality of what actually is an unrepentant people who he knows will in fact kill him in just a short time. But he doesn't ignore the pain. He doesn't ignore that reality. He takes that with him as he journeys towards the cross, as he journeys towards peace. He gives it air from his lungs as he says, this is not right. Would you have just known the peace that is here for you? We're gonna learn from him how to lament as we take this journey towards the cross. And, and two other steps, there's really three steps to this journey as we get there on Easter. It's to lament with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to move forward through his surrendering of his will to God. We're gonna learn about that in the process of peace. And we're gonna learn from Jesus how to find renewal through his death and his resurrection as well. And, and the path of peace, it has these kind of three parts, lament and surrender and renewal. But I want you to know, we're gonna talk on a, on a broad level in many ways of, of Jesus' story, but this path of peace, it can apply to your personal life. It can apply to your, your life and community. It can apply to your relationships, to your past, wherever there is not peace, wherever you need to journey towards peace. The process will essentially be the same, to lament, to surrender and to seek the renewal through the cross. But first up, lament. You guys with me so far? You erupted me. You erupted me. The voice of my three-year-old screamed from the backseat of the minivan as his parents ignored what he had been trying to say and talked over him. And what he was trying to say was, you interrupted me. You interrupted me. And he's complaining to his parents, the authority figures in the moment, this is not right. This is not okay. I was talking. And we, we apologized and asked him, you know, what he was saying. And we worked it out and there was peace again in the minivan for a short while as it always is but he was making a lament. And you hear that word and, and you go, what is, it's kind of an old word, lament, what does that even mean? And in very simple terms, it's to, to, to express your grief and your sorrow over what is. Be that a mother who has just lost her child. Be it a people group who is feeling the injustice of one of their own at the hands of authority. Be it a war-torn nation in their writings and their recordings, 
lamenting what is as it should not be. This is what it means to lament. In the biblical language, uh, it's often referred to in a song or a chant. In fact, about a hundred, or at least, you know, it's up for debate on some level, but at least about a hundred of the psalms, of the 150 psalms, have or contain a lament within them. Look here with me at Psalm chapter 3. There's actually a whole book, we're not going to get into it, but there's a whole book in the Bible on lament. It's called Lamentations. And it's all these poetic writings and songs and chants for a nation that is being destroyed by Babylon. Their people are being carried off into slavery. Their homes, everything is being disrupted and destroyed. Their work, their identity, their people are dying. There's a whole book written in the Bible to this idea of lament. In Psalm chapter, chapter 3, or in the Psalm in the Psalms, in Psalm 3. I want you to listen to this because we're going to learn from the Psalm how to lament. Verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Do you hear the desperation in these words? It's not just a, a formal expression of, of sorrow. It's actually an expression of grief and sorrow and disappointment at the reality is that's pointed in the direction of God. How long will you forget me, God? Are you going to hide your face from me forever, God? Answer me, God. You see, in a lament... It's not disrespectful to be honest with God. To in very raw terms, in very honest language, express how you actually feel about the situation to God. To come before him and to say, this is not right. Things are not as they should be. I'm not okay with this. God can handle that honesty. I can tell you when I first became a Christian, this took some getting used to. I, I became a follower of Jesus around 20, and, and this wasn't the way I talked to God. I actually talked to God in many ways. I felt like I had to get my heart right before I could talk to God. Like I had to come before God in prayer with the right heart first. Can you relate to that at all? And then maybe if I had the right heart, then maybe he would hear my prayer. And I remember early on praying with a friend, <clears throat> And I remember we're in this field where it's like nighttime and he's going through some stuff and he said, hey, can you come pray with me? And I, yes, I go pray with him. And we're out there in the dark and, um, and he's praying and he starts to raise his voice at God. 
And then he starts to declare to God how angry he is about the situation. And I kind of, you know, I kind of step away from the ground he's on a little bit, like, all right, this guy controls the weather and lightning and all, like, let me just give you a little distance as you work that out with God, right? But my, I was all ears, you know, as he's, he's pounding his fist and he's stomping on the ground and he's shouting to the heavens his lament to God. And I remember as he gets towards the end of this prayer, he, 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 he begins to surrender he begins to turn the posture of his prayer back towards praise and thanks. And, and it was as if I could see, I couldn't see it, but it was as if I could see in real time it happening for him, the Holy Spirit coming in and comforting him. And I believe that's what he did. And I remember just learning in that process, wow, this is how you can be honest with God. And I took it and ran with it. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to be this honest with you. And there have been so many times in my life where I've just, I've just lamented, I've, I've pleaded with God, I've complained, I've expressed my grief and my sorrow of this is not right, I'm not okay with this. I used to live in um, about a block from the beach in LA a couple different times, but amazingly enough in LA, nobody goes to the beach at night except for guys like me. <laughs> and I'm I would go down to the beach at night and just walk along the shore and nobody can hear, you know, in, in LA, you're in LA, you're on top of each other, all the apartment buildings. So if you start raising your voice in the apartment building, people are going to call the police. So you got to go down someplace, you know, where you can get away. And, and I would just go down to, down to the beach and just pace the shore and express to God my frustrations. And time after time, it, it didn't happen right away. It didn't always happen in the same timeline of the prayer, but time after time, God met me there. Time after time, his Holy Spirit would come in and comfort me there. When's the last time you got honest with God? Have you ever been honest with God? In these terms, When's the last time you got honest about the last two years of the pandemic and its effects on you? Its effects on your career path or your relationships or your mental health or whatever it has been. Honest about missing out in significant moments in your educational journey. A lot of our, our teens a couple years ago, they didn't get to go to prom or graduation. A lot of our parents didn't get to celebrate that with their kids. Honest about the racial injustices you felt. Honest with God about the pain in the divisions in our country that you felt. Honest about the losses you've had. Honest about the, the feelings of loneliness that you've had. Honest about ways you were hurt in the past that are still wreaking havoc on your relationships today. Honest with God about the disillusionment or the discouragement or the disorientation that you felt in your faith. Or have you been more honest with Facebook or with Twitter or with a friend over coffee? God can handle it. He wants you to be that honest. That's what a lament is, but it's not to stay there, okay? But it is the first part of the lament. Like lament, it's not the complaint section of prayer and yelp, you know what I mean? Like it's you do have to be honest, but you have to move on from there as well. So let's pick up the rest of the psalm here in verse 5. He says, But I trust 
in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Did you see that? He moves from how long, Lord, will you forget me? My enemies are going to destroy me and and sing joyful songs about it to I will sing praises to you, God. You are good. He doesn't stay in desperation. He expresses it. He grieves the sorrow. He grieves the complaint. He makes the petition in the direction of God and then he turns his reality back towards who God still is. That God is still the one on the throne. He's still good. He still has all authority. He still knows all things when your marriage is on the rocks. He still is good when you're failing in your career or in your educational goals. He's still trustworthy when your friends, your closest friends hurt you. He's still trustworthy. He's still filled with love and goodness towards you when your dreams don't work out. He's still reliable when injustice is done. He's still compassionate and good and aware of your story and able to give peace in your times of trouble. But we have to journey through the lament to get there. There's a basic outline of a, of a lament here. It starts with a complaint, a petition of God in very raw terms. It's followed by an intentional shift to anchor your trust in him. And it lands in a place of praise and a place of hope in the goodness of God. Are you with me right there? This is the journey from heartache to praise, a journey from disorientation to renewed hope. It's a way to give your sorrows and your losses a process that involves God. And that's a lament. And it's necessary. If you really want peace in your life, you have to go through this step. You know what I can say about my friend who was screaming in the field that night so many years ago? He's still faithful. He still has peace with God. Life has not gone easy for him. He had so much in his past, you know, growing up in South Central LA and some really, some dysfunctional scenarios. So much from his past to work through as an adult. And then as a working man, losing his ability to work through chronic illness. It got to a place where I remember it took him a whole day to be able to eat this much of a sandwich. And then his wife, his new wife and him are, are pregnant and they're trying to raise a child and that and they're, they're trying for a second and for years they're trying for the second. And I remember the day he calls me and he goes, oh, you won't believe it. He shows me a picture of him holding up a little baby, you know, outfit and we're having our second. And I remember the call several months later when he says, my wife just got back from an ultrasound and they found that the baby doesn't have a brain. And I remember them wrestling with the decision of, of will we, will we, bring the baby to term. And they did, and they delivered the baby. And it died moments later in their arms. And there are things that you lament once, and there are things that you lament over and over, and you bring back to God. 
The book of Lamentations is there for a reason. It's held, these hundred psalms are held in eternity, in history, in our hands thousands of years later for a reason because this is a process, it's not one and done often. You have to keep going back to it. You have to keep journeying with God through the path to peace. Are you with me right there? I think this is one of the key things that takes people out of the spiritual race, if I'm honest. I've been a Christian for nearly 20 years and I've watched a lot of people start the race at the waters of joy, the joy of the waters of baptism and going, man, this is amazing. Everything I have, God, it's all yours. I'm all in. And at different points along the way, different disappointments, it hurts, it pains, it life challenges, it dreams that didn't get fulfilled. I've watched people bow out. And it's not an overnight process, but little by little, disappointment, bitterness begins to distance them from God, not bring them closer to God. And little by little, they begin to disengage with the kingdom of heaven come to earth and the body of Christ. And, and little by little, their heart grows cold. You see, lament stops giving God the silent treatment in our pain. And it brings him in, it invites him in to go through this process as only he can and to give us what only he can, a peace that passes understanding. I don't think we always do well with loss if we're honest. When we lose as a society, right, we often do things like we sue, right? Like, okay, I lost, well, I'll sue. When we experience pain, we medicate. When we experience disappointment, we smear the reputation of whoever did this to us, whether it was the restaurant or the minister or whoever it was. When we experience injustice, we retaliate. We don't grieve well. We don't really have the mechanisms in place, honestly, to grieve well as a culture. We often isolate. We often grieve alone. We stuff the hurt down. We try to ignore it. Perhaps we cope with the pain through substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or it's pornography, or through throwing ourselves into achievement at work or our hobbies or health and fitness or whatever it is, but it always catches up, doesn't it? It always comes out somewhere later. It comes out in our physical bodies. In fact, science shows that if we don't deal with these things, it has a physical manifestation in us. This is from John Hopkins Medical. Um, they, they point out that a lack of forgiveness that displays itself in chronic anger, bitterness, lack of resolve, they say it has a physical response of putting you into fight or flight mode which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune responses. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, blood pressure, and immune responses. Those changes create manifestations in your body like this among others. Undealt with pain. Even the medical world's like, look, you gotta figure this out. You gotta figure out how to deal with your emotions in a different way, people. Because it's not going well the way you're dealing with it. 
It comes up in our relationships. I read a, a article or research paper this week called The Intersection of Biblical Lament and Psychotherapy in the Healing of Trauma Memories. How about that for a title? But it's really inspiring. It's these South African professors that are working with the Zulu nation and these Zimbabwean refugees. And what they did is they said they did a study of biblical lament psalms that can help, they found in their study that can help present day sufferers express their own pain to God. And this is a result, and this can result in personal, social, and biological healing. In the empirical study, Zulu pain bearers studied Psalms 3 and Psalm 13 and then wrote and performed their own laments using biblical laments as a model. The use of poem form is shown to have advantages over narrative cognitive therapy. The empirical compositions and performances fit within, with the insights gained in cognitive psychotherapy. Moreover, apart from facilitating healing of the soul and interpersonal relationships, the research insights and suggests that the lament can stimulate biological healing of the brain, allowing for healthy processing of trauma and traumatic memories. Isn't that cool? So when trauma happens to you, your brain it doesn't process it like it does other situations. Other situations that happen to you, your brain puts it in what's called a biological narrative. It does the process, I don't know all the parts of the brain, but it does a process and puts it into a biological narrative. When trauma happens to you, that process doesn't go through all the way. And so the, the memory kind of hangs out, it never gets fully processed. And then later on, a year or 20 years later, or somebody who looks kind of like that, or somebody who says something like that, or a situation that resembles that situation comes up, suddenly you're reacting as though it's happening right now. It's called a trigger. One of the ways that cognitive therapy works is it helps you consciously recall those memories and place them in a separate, in a, in a new meaningful context. And it takes time and it's a process, right? But they found, you know, neuroplasticity helps that process. Your brain can heal and change over time. And so this research group, they found that using biblical laments, the, the Psalms helped these people heal. And this was some serious trauma. These were refugees, and they had different support groups, including support groups for those with AIDS. This, this nation makes up about two-thirds of the AIDS cases in South Africa, and 60% of them are women. These are people with real trauma, and they said the outcome included a sense of them feeling heard, and a sense of justice will be done someday. It's not right. It's, it's not right in this life, but someday it will be right. This is what they said. Their confidence in themselves improved. They felt understood by others, and they had been able to bring their most painful experiences to God. There's also a possibility that the creative exercise contributed to physical healing in the brain. Thus, lament can play a part in the post-trauma healing process, helping sufferers to improve all their relationships with themselves, with others, and with God. How many of us are carrying around undealt with trauma? 
there's that meme, you know, you're bleeding on people who didn't cut you, right? Like, there's these wounds from your past that just come up and you respond. In your marriage or at your workplace or just to, with yourself. How much of that could be healed if we learned the process of lament? If we learned from God, using the Psalms as a guide, praying through specific traumatic experiences, sharing them with a community as these Psalms and these songs of lament would be shared in community. How much could be healed over time? How much healing are we missing out by not taking part in this process? In a couple weeks, we're actually going to have a night of lament as a community. Uh, Good Friday, April 15th. It's going to be a whole Austin church. We're going to bring everybody together, and we're going to model and learn from each other how to lament. I hope you can make it. As we prepare to take communion, let's consider the lament of Jesus. Matthew 27. In verse 45, this is Jesus now on the cross. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama tzabashthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. And when he had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You know, we read this passage and sometimes we, we mark this as the moment when he was separated from God and sin, sin came upon him. Um, but Jesus isn't just making up these words. This isn't just a, a random prayer of his. In this moment of loss and pain and disorientation, he has trained himself to lament. And he's quoting Psalm 22. And he, he, he quotes this prophetic lament of Psalm 22. And we won't read the whole thing. It's very long. But it's about the Messiah. But he knows that the end of the psalm is also part of the lament. And this, this first part of, of going through the pain, of acknowledging the reality, is just part of getting there. But it doesn't stay in despair. It lands in trust and hope and praise that will come. And let's listen here to the end of the psalm, verse 24. And he would know this was coming. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Picture Jesus before heaven. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Isn't that good? 
Jesus knows what he's saying. He's engaged in the lament, and he knows where it's anchored. Let's pray for our communion.